This morning's Old Testament reading comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The word of the Lord. We worship a God who brings people out of bondage and out of slavery. And we see that again and again in his word. And we see that in Exodus, that that's exactly what has happened, is that these people have been in bondage and slavery for years and years. And God brings them out of their bondage and out of their slavery. And he pronounces to them that this isn't based on anything that that you've done, but now I am your God and you are my people. And when God does that, that's when he reveals to, him, to them his law. He doesn't give them his law so that they might then make themselves his people. He says, you are my people. I, I've already shown you mercy. I've already shown you grace. And so now I'm going to give you my law. And my law is, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, it's a picture of what my heart is like. It's a picture of my design for how the world works But what you're also going to find as my people is that it's like a mirror that we look into. And when we look into God's law, we actually see the depth to which we are fractured and broken and rebellious and sinful. And so that the law then takes us by the hand and it brings us to the only place where there is hope. And so Jesus tells us that this law he came to fulfill, but he did not come to abolish Because the law is good for us. And so we've been looking at God's law. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments over the last couple weeks. And we've seen that God starts um, in a place that may seem fairly obvious to us. But as we looked at it, we realized it's, it's one that every other commandment flows out of. That he says, you shall have no other God before me. That you don't put anything else in my place and bow down to it and worship it. Um, thinking that it can give you what only I can give you. But then in the second commandment, we saw last week that God says that you can't make an idol of me, that you can't form and fashion me and, and bow down and worship it. You can't imagine me in any way that you want me to, that you have to take me as I am. And then this morning, we're looking at this third commandment where God says, you cannot take my, my name in vain. You can't take my name in vain. And so let me pray for us and we'll, we'll think about for a minute what that means and why he asked that of us. Father, we give you thanks this morning for your word. We thank you that your word is true and that it comes to us and reproves us and corrects us and trains us. And Father, we thank you that every bit of your word 
points us to your son, Jesus. That, that all of it is, is, is getting us to, is leading us to him and what he has done for us. And so this morning, um, as we look at your word and as we look at ourselves, I pray that what we would finally do is that we would look at Jesus and we would see him more clearly this morning, that we might rest in him more fully, that we might find um, all of our hope in him and in him alone. And Father, would you do that for us this morning by your spirit? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A name that many of you probably have never heard before, a a guy named Anthony Lamar Taylor. Anthony Lamar Taylor was in the news um, for, you know, a few weeks back in 2001. And he was in the news because he committed a crime, and it was a crime that got a pretty hefty sentence. It was a a sentence that was 200 years to life. And so, um, unless you have really good genes, you know, that's a death sentence. 200 years to life. And so you ask the question, what um, what kind of crime do you have to commit to get a sentence that is that drastic? You know, and our minds can, can go all over the place. Like, this guy is a serial killer, right? Um, that he has murdered, that he has done all of these awful things. Um, he's committed treason. Well, the crime that he committed was that he misused somebody's name. That he misrepresented somebody. And that somebody that he misrepresented was a guy named Eldrick T. Woods. Does that ring a bell at all? Some of you know who Eldrick T. Wood is. Everyone will know him by his, the name that we normally call him, Tiger. Tiger Woods. And so Anthony Lamar Taylor somehow tapped into um, Tiger Woods' line of credit, stole his identity, and began basically buying things, impersonating Tiger Woods. And it was the, the crime was thought by the judge to be so severe that he was essentially handed a death sentence. Because to misrepresent somebody's name is, is a really, we, we all know this instinctually, it's a very serious thing. If you've ever had your identity stolen, you realize it can destroy your life. But it's also, if the crime is you know, particularly serious, when a name, the more valuable the name is, the more weighty the name is. Now, I don't know how weighty Tiger Woods' name is now, but in 2001, it really was. And so I want to help us to understand this as we start thinking about this commandment and why God asks us of this. I want you to imagine just a scenario with me. Imagine that we used to do this when we first started, that we would do name tags. We don't do them anymore. Some of you wish we still did, I'm sure. Uh, you've had that awkward encounter during the passing of the peace, like three weeks in a row, where you still don't remember the person's name. Well, imagine that we did name tags when you walked in. But instead of receiving your own name, you received somebody else's name. And as you walk in, you're receiving the name of somebody else who's in the room, and so you're very conscious of the fact that people that you meet are, are, are going to know you by this name that is not yours. But as you're beginning to mingle and as you're beginning to meet people, you look around the room and you see this guy who is wearing your name tag. And during, you know, the the greeting time, what you notice is that this guy who has your name tag on is, is going around to women 
And he's like dropping one-liners on them, like pickup lines. I mean, it's very obvious he's being like incredibly flirtatious. You're a happily married man, and there's this guy who's wearing your name tag, and he's going around from woman to woman. You can tell that people are starting to get like uncomfortable and a little irritated, and he's being very obnoxious. And I imagine after church, you would probably have a few things that you would want to say to that guy, right? That this, this person was wearing your name and he was dragging your name through the dirt. And I imagine you would want to talk to him about that because, I mean, he completely misrepresented who you are. That your name was taken up and it was, it was twisted and there's people who don't know who you are and the only thing they know you by now is the way that this guy acted so that when they hear your name, that's what they think of. Now when we, take it, when we think about this commandment, I don't know when you heard this morning that the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I don't know what your first thought was, but I imagine what we normally think of is it's something along the lines of not using God's name in a way where we might curse. That, that mainly we, we specifically think of language. And I think that that's right, and I think that that's very important. But I think like all of these commandments, like the first two that we saw and the rest that we're going to see, that what we're going to understand, that it actually goes a lot deeper than that. That we should never use God's name in a flippant or in a derogatory way, but that's just a surface understanding of what God is getting at. The idea behind this commandment is an idea of representation. Just like you would be angry if somebody put on your name and then did ridiculous things, impersonating you, representing you, God does not want his name to be taken up in a way that misrepresents him, okay? So this morning, I want to talk about, for a minute, a little bit deeper, what does it mean to take a name in vain, how do we take God's name in vain, and then how do we respond to this? What do we do with this? So the simple definition to take a name in vain is to not show it the honor that it deserves and the respect that it deserves, to not honor that name, to not respect that name. And like we saw at the beginning illustration, some names are weightier than others. And so God here, the one who is above all things, the maker and the creator of the heavens and earth, is saying, I want you to respect and honor my name, to not use it in a flippant way, but also to not use it in a way of simply gaining glory or something for yourself. And so you know that we can, we can do this all the time with people's names, right? I mean, have you been around someone before where it was really, maybe you met this person for the first time, and within maybe two or three minutes of talking to this person at, at like a party, they dropped maybe ten different names on you. That they, because what they were wanting to do is they were wanting to give you an impression of who they were based on who that they were, they were associated with. So that they were using other people's names. This is what name dropping is. We use other people's name so that you might think well of me. That you might associate me with that name. That you might put me in a certain kind of category or certain group. Um, that we use 
people's name in order to get things for ourselves all the time. And it starts when we're really young. For those of you this morning who have children, this happens, I, pro- I know this probably happens in your house all the time. That you're sitting, you know, in one room and in the next room you hear your young child go to your spouse and say to them, "Uh, Dad told me that I could have ice cream. And you're sitting there, you're like, "I'm I'm within earshot. I can hear what you're saying. And I never told you that you could have ice cream. Now, why would that child go into the other room and proclaim that they could have ice cream based upon You saying something that you never said, it's because they know that your name, their name doesn't carry any weight, right? I mean, if they march into the room and they say, mom, I want ice cream, they know that like based on what they want, it carries no weight, but they know that sometimes dad's name does carry weight, sometimes it doesn't, but maybe if I use his name, maybe that will get me the thing that I want. And it's abuse. It's, that's using a name in a vain way. And if you, here's the thing. If you truly do represent someone's name, then you always have to be aware that what you do in your life reflects that name. You know, probably most of us growing up heard this from our parents from one degree or another, that when you started maybe driving, you started getting a little more freedom you started getting out of the house without them being near you, that they may say something like this, remember what name you bear or remember whose you are. I remember, you know, getting in trouble for certain things and hearing something along those lines. It's like, when you do that, you do that as a Udodge. And there's not any other Udodges in the city. I can guarantee you that. So they're going to know who you represent. And so we, we instinctually know what this means. Some of us work for um, companies where you sign certain things that say that if you participate, even outside of work, in certain type of behavior, that you can lose your job because you represent that company. We all know this instinctually with, uh, with advertisers, right? That advertisers will, a lot of times, they'll attach their product to a certain name because they want that name to bring them uh, more credibility so that more people will purchase their product. And then that particular person that they attach their name to does something really embarrassing or unlawful or horrible. And what do advertisers do? They drop them, like immediately. We don't want our name associated with this person any longer. So how... How, if you get the idea of what it means to take somebody's name in vain, it's not something that I think we think about a whole lot. How do we do this with God? How do we do this with God? Let me give you about three different ways that I think cover the basis of how we might do this. And the first one is this, is that we, we can use God's name in vain by using and associating ourselves with him, not for the sake of his glory, but for the sake of our own glory. That we use his name in vain when we use his name for our our own personal glory and our own personal benefit. So what does that look like? We still live in the Bible. We're in the Bible Belt still. Like, it's still, we're still in one of those places where this particular culture, there might actually be something advantageous 
for you to associate yourself with God. To actually use his name. I realize that isn't always the case, but often it's the case. And in this, you know, it makes it a really interesting place. I've lived in, kind of in the Bible Belt my whole life. It makes it an interesting place to do ministry because there's a lot of people who are always invoking the name of God. And you kind of have to ask the question, why are you doing that? And we can use the name of God in order to make ourselves appear a certain way, to look a certain way. You might um, be at church this morning because you realize that maybe um, there's people around you or in, where you work or in your neighborhood. And you kind of go, they all, they, these people that I know go to church. And if I'm going to fit in with them, maybe I should do that too. I'm glad that you're here for whatever reason. But you could see how that we might start to take his name so that we will appear to be something maybe that we're not. And when you equate your identity with God for the purpose of maybe making yourself look a certain way, that is taking his name up, taking it up in a vain way. So maybe, maybe it looks like this. Maybe whenever you kind of casually in conversation report to somebody... Um, about the fact that you were in church this morning or you went to a Bible study or you're reading a particular religious book and you mention it because you want that other person to think that you are more spiritual or holy than you actually are. You are using God's name in a vain way. Okay, so it goes a little deeper than we might first have thought. If we, if we maybe we could talk about... Um, just sort of peppering our language with sort of um, Christianese or God talk so that the other person will, will realize very quickly that, um, oh, this is a devout spiritual person that I'm talking to. That's using God's name in order to draw more attention to ourselves. It's using his name in a vain way. What about we, we can use his name vainly to justify our decisions or we might use his name vainly as a spokesman for whatever thing that we, we, we feel like is our pet cause. So to justify our decisions, many of you know, I've told you before, I was a campus minister. I was a college minister for about 12 years. And this was particularly um, relevant in that setting. I think it is for us too, but I'll pick on them for a minute. What I would often see, particularly in dating relationships, is that you might have this guy who dates this girl for a little while, and then he realizes he does not want to date her any longer. So he's, he's in a dilemma, right? What am I going to do? Um, most, most of them would drag it on for another six months until they finally realized, aha, I can go to them and tell them, you know, I really feel like God is telling me that I need to break up with you. Now, I mean, I saw this all the time, that I really feel as if God is... Now, it may be true to some degree that you should not be dating this person, and maybe God doesn't want you to date this person, but the, real, the, the way that you used his name was because you were not just bold enough to go ahead and say, this needs to end. You wanted to invoke the name of God to do your dirty work. Or it sometimes happened the other way, that you might have somebody who's... Wanting, is really wanting to date a certain person, and all of the friends are going... You know, this guy's a scumbag, he's a jerk, and the response may have been, yeah, but I really feel like God wants me to date them. Well, how do you argue with that? 
God told you to date them, so I guess we can't speak wisdom into your life anymore. That is using God's name in a vain way to simply get what you want and to justify your decisions. Or maybe we take up God's name to to promote whatever cause um, is our cause. And there might be elements of the truth that maybe in his word we find that God does care about certain of these things. But we might say, you know, um, well, Jesus was a liberal. Or Jesus was a conservative. And we invoke the name of God in order to fit neatly into the particular political category that we like. It's just, it, God takes his name very seriously. It's the third thing he mentions. And, you know, I, I'm reading a book right now uh, by a historian named Jamar Tisby. It's called The Color of Compromise. And he's going through the history of the church in America and really showing the ways in which white Christianity used the name of God to justify slavery, to justify racism, to justify white supremacy. That people who are like theologians, right, who study the Bible, who are preachers, who proclaim it, find a way to use the name of God to justify the very sins that they are committing. And and here's the thing. If we don't think that we're capable of using God's name to defend the very opposite of what God actually desires, we need to be better students of history. Because the church is full of it. So we can use it for our personal glory. We can use it as a defense of our own decisions or our own calls. But maybe the most obvious way that we use God's name in vain is that we can, take, we, can, we, can ha- we can bear his name and then we cannot care about what he says. That we bear his name and then we don't listen to him. And our lives are, are almost, they don't have a mark. We bear the mark of God and yet we don't follow him with our lives. That Jesus said, if you love me, then you will you'll do what I command. And we take his name in vain when we call ourselves Christians, and then there is no evidence. Now, what I'm not saying, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I won't go there yet. We t- it needs to stand just by saying we take his name in vain when we bear his name, and then we do not care what he asks us of us in our, in our lives. Those of us who are in Christ this morning, you've heard me say it over the last few weeks, that you have been, you've been baptized into his name. That his name ha- has been put uh, upon you, that, that you bear and represent his name. You heard this morning as those who joined the church, they took a vow, the third vow of membership says that we now, being brought out of darkness and, and being found by him, that we now endeavor to follow, to live as followers of Christ. And this means that, that how, you know, you do your business matters because you bear the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It means that the type of boss you are matters. 
It means that the type of employee you are matters. That it means that the type of parent you are matters. It means that if your neighbors don't have any idea who you are other than the one who's cranky and reclusive and only comes out of the woodwork when you have to complain about something, that matters. It means that if you bear the name of God and you have no regard for those who are less fortunate with you than you or for the poor, then you're not honoring the name of Jesus. We bear his name. Okay, this is what happens every week. We get to this point and you go, man, this is, okay, this is deeper than I thought and it's heavier than I thought and I'm more guilty than I thought. And we come to a point where we go, okay, so what do we do with this? Now, the solution is to not to just go, I'm going to ignore it and, and pretend that God doesn't care about his name. Now, I think that's easy to do in Christianity. I think we, we can often do that. No, um, you can do whatever you want. Don't, just, let's just ignore that part. Once we get to a point where we feel the weight of our own guilt and our own sin, what do we do? We can go in two different directions. We can go in the first direction that would say this. This is the direction I could go in even preaching to you. What this means now is you all need to be a better witness. You need, to, you need to think about your life to such a degree that you need to be a better witness for Jesus. You should be ashamed of yourself for not being a better witness. And from now on, I'm, I'm watching you, right? Now, a lot of us grew up in that, and that's what we heard all the time. And you may have been in youth group, and you kind of thought, you got to a certain point in your life, and you thought, if God is dependent on me for witnessing his name, this thing's over, I can't do it. I cannot bear his name in a way that is worthy. I cannot possibly do that. And the the harder, and even though we need to hear this morning, like I said, we need to hear and even go out saying, I want to represent God in a way that is worthy of the glory of his name. The way that we get there is not by simply feeling the guilt and shame, wallowing in it, and promising to do better. You know what happens when we do that is we make people hypocrites. Because what you'll figure out how to do is something that I figured out how to do at many points in my life is that I can make you think I'm something that I'm not. I can cover it up. I can pretend this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And on the inside, we can feel as if we're rotting away. And ironically, when Jesus comes and walks on the earth, the ones he has most intensely angry at, and I can use that word, he is angry at them, are the ones who most visibly bear his name, and yet are hypocrites. Because they have covered themselves on the outside with all the appearance of honoring God and observing the law, but on the inside they are using his name for their own glory. You see, the primary purpose of the law is to show you that you are broken, not to fix you. If your response this morning is when you hear this and you're like, I got this, I I will pray for you this week. If you hear the law and your first response is, I can do that, then you are on a road that is going to lead to hypocrisy and hiddenness. Martin Luther was fond of saying the law is for the proud. That's what he meant. If your response to the law is, I can do this, the law is for the proud, but the gospel is for the brokenhearted. And I I tell you what, when I sat with this this week, I became brokenhearted 
Not for you, for me. I became brokenhearted to think of all the ways in which, even as a minister of the gospel of Jesus, I bear his name in a very visible way, and yet there are so many ways in which I misrepresent him with my life. And then I bring shame upon his name. And then I'm not worthy to bear his name. And so what do we do? Well, there is a better way. And the better way is very simple. And the better way is this. It is to simply accept the grace of Jesus. It is simply to accept, to to come to a point where if the gospel is for the brokenhearted, the question that we ask ourselves is, am I brokenhearted? And what am I brokenhearted about? I'm brokenhearted about the fact that in every way I have failed him. And I don't know what to do. Jesus comes to us in his grace, and he is the only one who can perfectly represent the Father. You know why? As a man, he is the only one who can perfectly represent the Father, perfectly represent his name. Why? Because he has the same name. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, hey, listen, before Abraham was, I am. And when he said that, people started picking up stones to stone him. And the reason they were picking up stones to stone him is he is saying, my name is the name Yahweh. It is the same. I am who I am. So Jesus was condemned as one who was a blasphemer. And yet he never blasphemed. And yet he goes to the cross. He comes and walks on this earth and he goes to the cross for who? For blasphemers. For ones who have taken up his name in vain. He says, I will not hold them guiltless who take my name in vain. And Jesus comes as one without guilt. And yet who takes our guilt upon you. Jesus has perfectly upheld the perfect name in human flesh for you this morning. So that you might receive a new name. A name that is marked on you forever. Now why in the world would Jesus do that? He would do it for this reason, because your name was already engraved on the palms of his hand. That he knew you from before the foundation of the world. And he goes on to be treated exactly like you and I should be treated for blaspheming his father's name. Jesus bears your name, and he represents you in your sin. So that right now you might stand before the father as blameless. Now, we remove, we remove ourselves from those who might represent us all the time, right? If somebody is associated with me and they're doing things I don't like, I'm going to move away from them. Jesus does the exact opposite. He attaches his name to those he know will misrepresent him. Jesus' name is associated with all sorts of sin. The worst you can think of. And yet he is proud to call you his. He is proud to bear your name because he actually loves you. You see, at the heart of the law, the heart of the law of this, of this law in particular, is it cuts a path that goes through the deepest, darkest part of our hearts so that you might arrive on the other side and see the brilliance and the depth and the beauty of Jesus' love for sinners, even those who have defamed his name. You have to know how bad it is before you can see how beautiful it is. You see, Jesus, that name, 
That's the name that I have drugged through the mud. It's the name that many of you have drugged through the mud. And that is the only name under heaven by which we can be gathered into his arms like wayward children and cleansed completely of our guilt and our shame. And the more that we see, as the law drives us into a place where we see how dark it actually is in our own hearts, it drives us to a place where we see the depth of his grace. And you know what happens? His name becomes more precious to us than we can imagine. If what we walk out thinking is, I need to make his name great because it will make me somebody who is great, we will never, his name will never be precious to us. If we walk out this morning and we are honest with the fact that in every way I have misrepresented you, you have graciously given my name and I have drugged your name through the mud, and yet you welcome, you welcome the thought of calling me part of your family. His name becomes sweet. His name becomes like what we sang earlier, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. In a believer's ear, it soothes his sorrow, it heals his wounds, it drives away his fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again this morning that um, you are kind enough to us to give us your law, to show us our deep need for Jesus. And I pray that you would do that in our own hearts this morning, that he might actually become um, even more precious to us. That even as we see um, how deep our need is for him, that when somebody asks, why, why do you love Jesus, that um, an ocean gushes forth. Because we see how deep our need is for him and how he has met us in our need in a way that we can never imagine. We ask this so that his name may be made more prominent and more great. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.